I felt closer to him up there than I ever did at his grave site. So when I had that experience, pushing myself kind of through the fear, pushing myself through those uncomfortable feelings, it helped with each trip, it helped me process the grief more and more. And that is, I think became almost addicting in a way, right? Like I wanted, it was making me feel close to him. It was making me find happiness again that I thought I genuinely thought I would never have again. I'm Cliff Shaw. And I'm Derek Kem. This is Fascinating People. On this episode of Fascinating People, we speak with Jordi Lippi McGraw. She's a travel writer, certified holistic health coach, wife, and mother. Jordi's career actually started out in the entertainment industry. For almost 10 years, she worked as a reporter where she'd be spotted on red carpets, fancy parties, and with A-list celebrities. She was a frequent guest on the Wendy Williams talk show and was even interviewed on CNN for the story she broke about Stormy Daniels and Donald Trump. But she got tired of writing and talking about other people's lives rather than living her own life. So she quit, started traveling, and started writing about it. Her work has been featured on Condé Nast Traveler, Travel Leisure, and New York Times, and more. Since then, She's refocused her life on health, wellness, and happiness, and is helping others along their journeys back to their true selves. We had a deep and fun chat with Jordi to explore her transformation, how she helps people through their transformations, how to conquer fears, what motherhood is like for her, and some interesting travel and celeb stories. We really enjoyed our time with Jordi and think you will too. Here we go. Jordi. Lippy McGraw. All right. I guess the first question I would have is, it sounds, would you call your transformation, was it almost like an awakening? You know, it's funny because I never really thought of where I am today as a transformation. I think what happened was a little over 10 years ago when my dad died suddenly in a plane crash And it was one of those moments that people have in their lives where everything just kind of gets turned upside down and you start to evaluate things differently. And what I realized at that time was that I wanted to live a certain life. And I didn't know exactly what that looked like, right? Like I had this vision in my mind that I didn't want to be in an office anymore. I didn't want to be writing about celebrity gossip anymore, which is what I was doing full-time for six years. I wanted to be able to travel more. I wanted to live a healthier lifestyle. And that was the vision I stuck to that kind of has led me where I am today. I didn't know I was going to become a full-time freelance travel writer. I didn't necessarily know that I would travel to all the continents. I didn't know what that transformation looked like, but I just kind of held on to that vision that's my guiding light. And that vision changes. Like I'm a mom now and I'm a wife now, and I'm trying to figure out what that next vision looks like for me. And I just try to do one thing every day that gets me to that vision. And so to me, it's not like, oh my God, this transformation, I guess when you look back on it, it can kind of seem that way, but I just 
started with that vision. And I try to stay true to that whenever I make a decision about what I'm going, what project I'm going to take on next or anything like that. And that's how I didn't know what it was going to look like. And that's how I am here today. And I know that will be different in a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. So I just try to hone in on that vision and do one thing every day that helps me achieve that. So what's today? What's my vision today? Yeah. It's so funny that you that you asked that because I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine. How can saying, I not ask? It's all I'm thinking about after what you just said. <laughs> my, I've started to really, especially you know, every, during the pandemic, a lot of people reevaluated their life and what they wanted out of it, etc. I'm certainly not alone in that. Our whole life was turned upside down. We were living in Manhattan. We left. We were living with our in-laws. We were living here. We were living there. We lived out of a suitcase for a year, not in a glamorous way. (laughs) Right. And so again, and we were doing that with a with a one and a half year old. So what does life look like for us moving forward? And my vision now, I'm I'm still honing in on it, but I think, you know, I would love to make my dream of writing a book come true that I'm feeling that like that burning inside of me that I want to get that story out and everything that I've learned from the transformation that you just described and perhaps venture more into the family travel arena because I have a lot of experience with it like you, Cliff, and being able to provide resources in some way. Again, I'm not sure what that looks like, perhaps you know, an accessories line for families who travel that's super functional, but very stylish. So it's not like these cutesy characters, but something that parents feel like they can travel with and it makes travel easier, but it's not compromising on their sense of luxury or style. So like, those are just some sort of some visions that I have floating around of what I would like to happen, what I would like to happen next. I'm still trying to hone in on it. That's fantastic. Let's kind of dig into the process of how you, cause this is interesting. And I think this is kind of what you do with your coaching as well. But Derek and I are big on vision boarding and setting goals and all that and really manifesting everything that, you know, we want to see in the world, right? In our lives or in people who are important in our lives. True. What is your process for, you know, setting your vision and figuring out like what you want to do with your life? It's something that, like you mentioned, that I do with clients that I work with. I go through a daydreaming exercise and give myself the space and the time. And actually, if you go onto my website, Coaching with Jordy, and you put your email in, you can get access to the same daydream exercise that I've used on myself over and over again over the last decade. And yes. it's like a meditation. Daydreaming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how often do we daydream, right? Like really, really daydream. Like especially having a kid now, it's like to them, like I asked my son what he wanted to be when he grew up. And he said a train, like in his mind, that is a total (laughs) possibility. Like there's no boundaries, there's no limits. And daydreaming is just goals without limits, right? So being able to put myself in that headspace, which is basically like a meditation. It's kind of like a meditation that I go through. And again, it's something that I do with my clients where it's like, Don't worry about the title on your resume or the specific job that you have in mind, right? Like at a specific company. It's more like when you wake up in the morning, what do you see when you look out your window, right? Like what's the first thing that you do that makes you happy in the morning? What does your lunch look like? 
What are you doing in that day that fills you with energy? Who are you coming home to? What does the space look like? Like creating that vision more so than figuring out, okay, well, I need to have this job at this company to get to where I want to be. For me, it's more about following that feeling and that daydream. And that's how I come up with it. Going through an exercise like that of like, what do I see when I look out the window in the morning? Is it a beach? Is it the forest? Is it a city? What sounds do you hear? That's the sort of thing that is like, to me, it's much more tangible that you can kind of hold on to and opens up possibilities as opposed to being in one lane and focusing on one thing. I think it opens you up to a lot more opportunities that maybe you hadn't considered before. I mean, it sounds like you get people to feel instead of think. Yeah. I think sometimes we can think ourselves into a box, right? Only humans can. (laughs) Humans are the only creatures that can be in a perfectly safe room and freak themselves out to the point of death. (laughs) You know what I mean? A wolf goes to sleep, right? A bear goes to sleep, but only a human possesses the capacity to cripple themselves in their own mind, right? Yeah. So when it comes to daydreaming and how long does the exercise take? Like, it sounds like it's less than like 10 minutes. Oh yeah. I mean, three to five minutes roughly. Really? Do it to me. Do it to me. (laughs) I'm serious. All right. You want to go through it? Basically you could ask Cliff, you just described my whole day. Like that's how I'm (laughs) going to be fun. Yeah. So I'm excited. Yeah. We've had many uh, talks because we have a three hour difference. He's walking his dogs at like 6 a.m. when the sun's coming up. He has a beautiful view of the the mountain range in Hawaii over there. And yeah, he's in his element when he's walking out in nature. So anyway, this is nothing new for him. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, please. Do I close my eyes or what do I? Yeah, absolutely. You want me to yeah. lead you through it? Yeah, I, I'm serious. Right. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, this absolutely. is about you, but I want to, you know, Kay Wilder, check it out. Mom's going to hypnotize <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Usually on my, in my video, there's some like nice music playing in the background, but you, you're, you're in Hawaii, so you can just have the, the beach behind you anyway. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's start by closing your eyes. And I want you to take three deep inhales and exhales. Now start to picture your dream day. This is a day that is so perfect. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a day where you're achieving what you want to achieve, living where you want to live, and being with who you want to be with, and feeling how you want to feel. And this doesn't have to be years down the line. It can be just six months from now. No matter what the timeline is, Life is flowing and you're happy. So when you wake up on your dream day, what's the first thing you see as you open your eyes? Where are you? What are you surrounded by? Am I engaging with you? Nope, just thinking. Oh, okay. Is there air gently blowing through the window? Or is the sun shining on your face? Take a moment to recognize how you feel. You're grateful. You're excited to start the day. You're happy. You're at peace. What noises do you hear in the distance? 
Are birds chirping? Now, get out of bed, place your feet on the floor and walk towards the window. What is it that you see outside? Are there green trees? Is it a busy city street? Or is there an ocean off in the distance? Now, what's the first thing you do during your morning routine? Are you pouring coffee, reading a book, kissing your children good morning? What else happens during that morning routine? Do you have a freshly cooked breakfast or green juice? Do you get a run in? Now, after you complete your morning routine, you're getting ready for work, for a job that you love. What does that feel like? What's, it, what's exciting about it? What inspiring conversations are you preparing to have that day? Now it's lunchtime. So where is that lunch? What are you eating? Who are you with? Or are you alone enjoying nature in a walk? It can be whatever you want it to be. Just focus on how you're feeling. Now, after that relaxing lunch, how do you spend your afternoon? What kind of project are you working on? Where are you working? Or are you done with work for the day? It's your day, so it can be whatever you want it to be. And as the end of the day rolls around, how are you feeling? You should be feeling ignited. Are you feeling like you're living? Are you feeling present? What will you do next? Will you go out with friends? Spend quality time with a loved one? Are you cooking a delicious meal at home? Or are you going out to eat? Take a moment to reflect on what the rest of your perfect day looks like. Now, how do you unwind at the end of that day? As you crawl into bed and start to fall asleep, what helps you calm down? What are you grateful for? What made you happy that day? Now just breathe here again, envisioning that perfect day. Deep breath in and exhale. Stay here, soaking in all of this gratitude. Just a few more breaths. Inhale. Exhale. And now, when you open your eyes, I want you to take note of what this perfect day is for you. 
because you just lived it. And that's the life that you can live every day. That was amazing. And I like that. And it makes me feel a lot of gratitude and it makes me think back to the path that got me to where it is today, where I feel like I live in a flow state of a career where time is non-existent. And it wasn't always like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And for the, a lot of the people that I work with and even for myself, that's an exercise for when you're feeling stuck, right? Like when mm. you don't know what to do, you don't, you know, a change needs to happen, but you don't know how to get there. And whenever I work with a client, and again, whenever I'm trying to figure the answer out for myself, I start with this exercise because it starts to create a clear vision. And once you have that vision of what that flow state, right? Like you just described what that starts to look like, then you can start making decisions from that place, right? You're living as if, right? As if that life is coming true. So you will start to make decisions from that place and you can chart a path based on that vision. That's how I sort of, and again, you don't know exactly what it looks like, but like if I wanted to, didn't want to work a full-time job anymore, right? Like I knew in my vision, I didn't want to work in an office anymore. Well, I needed to start figuring out other ways that I could not work in an office and make money. So it opens you up to possibilities. One of my greatest hopes for my son, Keegan, which I'm sure is a hope you have for Wilder, is I pray he has a career, right? With no time clock. And I pray that he never has a, like a job after he's 30. Very hard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But that's, but that's all I really hope for. <laughs> oh, it's completely doable. I mean, he's going to do it. I'm his dad. But, um, <laughs> yeah, which jumps, let's, let's go straight into something more interesting than, than, okay. So I just have to know what is the best and worst advice you've ever received? You can start with either direction. In general? Well, no, I mean, in any application that you feel applies to, you know, your current existence, mm-hmm. right? Because in entertainment, that could be a completely... Yeah. It, it, might, it might be like, okay, answer your phone 24-7. Yeah, like, that's the best right. advice I could give you. In turn, today, you might be answer your phone two out of, you know, 12 hours or something, right? So Yeah. Let me think about that for a second, if you don't yeah. mind. Yeah, let's unbox that slowly. Um, have you ever, while you're thinking, have you ever read Rainier Rilke? No, I have not. Oh, I'm going to send you the book. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I always it's like- from a, my, a friend of mine who gave it to me. And he's one of the best writers I've ever come across, you know, in modern day. Yeah. And he's a teacher and educator. So yeah, you'll like it. It's called Letters to a Young Poet. Oh, all right. And it kind of like provides fundamentals that frankly have been abandoned for at least a century. And it discusses what to really write on. Interesting. But then it's not discussing what to write on. Right, right. Does that make sense? You know what? Yeah. yeah I mean, I'm fascinated. Yeah. So I want to definitely. Yeah, it's really, more. it was really eye-opening for me, although I'm not nearly as astute as, as you folks. So back to worst advice, best advice. What do you think? I think recently, or, you know, within the last handful of years, yeah, especially since becoming a mom, change is the only constant mm. is a good piece of advice that I received which I think, you know, obviously I think it was given to me in the sense of motherhood (laughs) and how it applies to so many aspects of life. Right. And especially like when the pandemic hit and everything, like 
there's so much change and there's so much unknown. So being able to just accept that change is the only constant reduces a lot of anxiety or my anxious tendencies. So Jordi, when you say accept, is it something that you also try to, because like I try to savor it now. Not not only only just accept, I try to like savor, meaning like if I got to eat this change or something I'm not comfortable with anyway, Mm -hmm. where's the beauty in it? Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because another uh, piece, I don't even remember where I, I read it or saw it or if someone gave it to me, but was to, when you wake up in the morning, think about the things that you get, the things that you get to do rather than you what you have to do that day. Right. Wow, choice. That, that shift in perspective is like, yeah, I have to get up with my son this morning, super early. Wow. I get, I get to, how lucky am I that I get to get up with my son this early, even if I'm tired, I get to have that time with him. So like, it's, it's just that slight shift that can make all of the difference in your mindset for the day, for a moment. And that's great that you're able to, to savor that. That is still something that I struggle with and I'm working more on acceptance. I think what I tried to do sometimes is go from, Got I've got the self-awareness thing down, right? Like I've got like, yeah. this is where my head's at. These are my flaws. These are my strengths. And I kind of go right to how can I change and become better as mm. opposed to missing. I tend to skip over that acceptance part. So that's at, at this point in my life, that is kind of the part that I'm focusing on is not, I don't have to fix everything that's, that I think is wrong with me, right? Like I need to be able to accept who I am before I can try to like focus on fixing everything wrong, because that just creates so much more stress and anxiety for me. At least that's been my experience. So, and I think with acceptance that is being present, right. And being able to savor the moment. So I'm in, I'm working on that right now, but that piece of advice of focusing on what you get to do in the morning versus what you have to do or throughout the day, that is like a little piece that sticks with me that helps me, you know, bring that to life. That's great advice. And for the record, I'm still working on myself this second. <laughs> as we all are. I yeah. think as, you know, the three of us, we're all parents of relatively young children. Jordi, you being the youngest, I mean, <laughs> but as a mother, right? Do you feel yourself, even though you're in the throes of like child rearing and preschool age type of children, do you feel like you become more present through the adversity and through the struggle of just figuring out like, this is my life. I have to accept it for what it is. I have to enjoy the moments that I have with my son at this moment. I'm trying. I think think the pandemic threw a wrench in things because life became so unknown. We didn't know where we were going to be living. We didn't know jobs. We didn't, you know, we didn't know anything. So I think that made it a bit harder for me because we were kind of in such an intense state of the unknown. And we're, st- I mean, we're better now, but we're still very much in it. We don't know where we're going to be in three months or six months. Do we stay here? Do we go back? What's the best decision to make for our family? But as my son, he just turned three in June. I feel like over the last handful of months, having been settled here in New Jersey for a few months, being closer to family, I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better at being able to 
when he wants to just, you know, what I, I feel like it's sensory overload and he just wants to be next to me all the time. And I'm trying to get something done that like that I'm going to want that in a few years and he's not going to want to give it to me. So trying to remember that and just sit with him and be with him and put work aside, I'm getting much better at it. Have you ever heard of the 10 minute rule? Yes. It's crazy, right? How you give them like 10 minutes of like totally devoted attention. It fills their cup up and then you can go like go and do something else. Is that the rule? <laughs> That's the one I'm thinking of. I mean, it usually only takes three minutes, <laughs> right? Because he's a my, boy. My son but requires a lot of attention. <laughs> it's so funny. Like my wife, Juliet, was listening to Oprah Super Soul. And I think it was Brene Brown that said anytime her children would disturb her in the middle of her work day like we're surgeons right you know what i mean (laughs) yeah exactly she would pause and give 10 minutes Mm -hmm. like i have one of these these are life-changing by the way what is that that? well you just put it directionally up and then it counts for that amount of time Ah. right so so like 10 minutes for the kid it's so life-changing yeah you know, what I battle and struggle with, just, I mean, obviously, I feel like I should be vulnerable after your comment earlier, is, how do I say it so delicately? Accepting and knowing that my parents did the best they could and how they knew how to do. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that's the standard. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel I can level up, right? And that's kind of where I, I struggle with sometimes, which is, Sometimes I catch myself doing what my parents would do when mm-hmm. in turn, it's maybe something different from what I would like encourage myself or my son to do. Right. Right. And that's, yeah. oh, that's the worst, isn't it? You know? <laughs> but, I think you for know, me as a, a mom, I mean, I yeah. don't know how much as fathers you experience this, but, yeah. and I certainly don't know the fatherhood experience necessarily, but for me, at least I feel like there's a lot of pressure to do things a certain way and there's this judgment on moms and with social media it's a great thing but it also sometimes I get overwhelmed like oh my god I'm not doing that with my kid or oh crap I was supposed to do that with my kid and it's like it's too much and I need to shut it off because I keep trying to be the best mom that I can be but it's like I just I know my son and I just need to like do what I think is best and just show him love and not try to do what every single childhood psychologist not that there's not validity in it but I feel like I try too hard sometimes and my husband always tells me that he's like you're you're trying too hard he's happy right just to have the 10 minutes of playing with Legos like that's what you can need to give him and that's that's it and he will be happy and safe you just need to be present with him I think that self-awareness you constantly embrace you don't even display it you embrace it Mm -hmm. like I think that self-awareness is all like maybe as a child I need to see out of my parents that I never see. Like there's always this sense of like, maybe I give it to Keegan where we know everything, mm-hmm. right? I think that vulnerability is what will create that glue between you and Wilder. I don't know. I mean, yeah. Keegan's eight, I have no clue. I'm just saying for myself, I let him know that I'm fallible, mm-hmm. that I'm completely, you know, in this just human experiment or whatever people want to call it, right? Yeah. Like I just... I don't have all the answers, but at the end of the day, what I tend to encourage now, and I want your take on this, is you don't know what to decide. I believe in choices more than decisions. If you don't know what to choose, just go with what you feel. Yeah. 
Like, what do you think about that? Yeah. As a life coach or as just a mom, like, like. Yeah. I think our intuition is something that's incredibly powerful and has a lot of answers. I think we just don't take the time to tap into it or trust our gut. I know that's like such a cliche thing to say, but like really taking and, and without sounding so woo woo or spiritual or things like that. I always try to gauge my level of woo woo-ness with people, but taking a moment and just asking yourself, what do I need to know right now? And seeing what comes up, like just, again, it's kind of that like free form thinking, like, what do I need to know right now? And mm. then something is going to pop into your head. And what do you do with that? Right? Like, and I think that's our intuition. It's not, it's something that can be tapped into all the time if we allow ourselves, but it's so easy. And I, you know, myself included, it's easy to get caught up in the day to day and worrying about the future and, or worrying about the past or whatever it is. And our heads get so filled and we don't just stop and take a pause and check in with ourselves and check in with our gut. Cause I think that's, I think that's real. You get a sense of someone on a street or that's a real vibes are real. You know what I mean? So what's that like in Hollywood? What do you mean? <laughs> well, I mean, does it even exist or is it like a unicorn or a minahune? I mean, I use, honestly, I mean, this is for work's sake, but I used my intuition, I think, is what made me a good gossip reporter. I was able to sense where things were going to be happening. I was able to read people. I was able to work a space. Like, I was, I listened to my gut and tr- because no one teaches you how to be a gossip reporter. That's not like, there's not like gossip reporting 101 in school. Right. And like every situation is so different. And I know people bash gossip reporting, but really you're learning like on the ground skills of trying to uncover a story. Yes. It's, you know, a vapid story, but like the skills are still there. So I tapped into my, my intuition often to try to figure out, okay, how am I going to get this story talking to this person, going to this place. Like I got to trust my gut here. And I found myself in very interesting situations that will make for good story, you know, that make for good stories. So like maybe it's in entertainment or maybe it's back then versus now, but what's something that like, I guess people around you then and now value or value that you no longer value? Like back in that entertainment phase, like things that seem so important to you, or maybe them at that time, like, how is it so inconsequential now? What would that be? A sense of self-importance. I mean, the industry is just filled with people that just think they are the, the world. If they weren't here though, you know, what would happen to this world? And it's like, we're all just, you know, we're sort of all inconsequential in some way, you know, like the world would keep on spinning without you. And so it was hard to give, you're putting so much attention and energy into these people who don't, it's not a relationship, right? It's like, I'm just pouring my energy into these people who give me absolutely nothing back. The only thing that they see for me is if I can do something for them and for their careers. And that is, to me, that was soul sucking by the end. And that, yeah. No, I want to unbox this. So it's almost like you go to work, they drain your gas tank. And you have to find ways to fill it. Yeah, exactly. And I wasn't finding ways to fill it anymore. And then um, is it like a spiritual, because I mean, you do sound spiritual. It basically sounds like you're catering to demigods and atheists. 
<laughs> and they have no sense of how insignificant they are. Like they've never seen like the globe from space or something, you know? Yeah. And I think, and like human connection, like everything is just how it relates to them. Like they're the universe and, you know, mm-hmm. they're, the, and everything's spinning around them when it's like, you know, we're all connected. And I, I just, it just was very draining and being in the line of gossip and stuff that I was, was in, there wasn't, it left very little time to fill up my cup outside well, of work. Talk, talk to us about that process when you were in the thick of it and you were trying to make that change. Like you were kind of in an enviable position. You were yeah. on TV. You were yeah. a frequent guest on, I, I believe, Wendy Williams and <laughs> other shows. And yeah, a lot of articles published, you know, with A-list celebrities. It was you hard. Know, how did you make that 180 change? Yeah, it wasn't easy. It was something that was a job that I had dreamed of having, right? Like that, when I was in high school and college, like I dreamed of going to red carpet events and interviewing celebrities and, you know, eating at the nicest restaurants in in New York City. And I got that, right? Like I had achieved that dream. So when it wasn't fulfilling me anymore or making me happy anymore, it was very jarring because it's like, oh crap, I just worked years and years to achieve this. Everyone tells me how lucky I am. And don't get me wrong, like in my early 20s, it was an awesome job. I got to take my friends to parties and go to the best restaurants making like no money. I got to meet really fascinating people. I've got cool photos with celebrities. Like it was fun. So like, I'm not bashing it at all. It's just that was something that was great for my early twenties. And that, especially after my dad died, like that just wasn't something that was fulfilling for me anymore. And I think I stayed a bit longer because I thought it was something that I I should be doing. Right. I was shooting all over myself. Mm. I was crap. Okay. I worked really, really hard for this, this dream job I have it. Everyone says I'm so lucky, I'm not feeling that way, but I should be feeling lucky. And it's this like, mind game that you play with yourself. So I think it wasn't until I got confident in knowing that there was, that I could have another dream and that dreams can change your goals can change. And that was a process. It took, you know, a good year and a half, two years. I kept working at the gossip job while I went to school to become a certified holistic health coach. I started writing freelance articles on the side that could get me more. And so, you know, it wasn't like, oh my God, I decided to quit my job. I'm going to go live at an ashram in Thailand. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but that wasn't right. my that wasn't my experience. Mine was much more practical. It's like, I got to pay the bills. So I got to mm-hmm. keep this job, but I'm going to compartmentalize that job as a way of funding what my next step is in life. And that was kind of how I was able to deal with the day-to-day of it and still do a good job and show up. But knowing that that wasn't the end game for me anymore and that there was something bigger and different that was on the horizon that I was working towards. I mean, through that process, did travel play a big part? I mean, it seems like you've, you've been all, you've been all around the world, literally seven continents, including (laughs) Antarctica was travel a big part of that kind of catharsis and kind of revelation about where you want to go and what you want to do. Yeah. I mean, as I'm sure, you know, that travel can be extremely transformational for sure. I think for me, because my dad, the way in which my dad died, he died in a a plane crash. It was, the thought of getting on a plane after he he passed away 
created a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of mixed emotions for me. I love traveling with my family prior to his death. So the thought that something that made me really happy and that I have so many fond memories of with my dad and my family was sort of like ripped away from me. And I was nervous that I would never be able to have that back. But when I took that first flight after he passed away, I experienced a sense of calm and peace, 30,000 feet in the air that I hadn't experienced since he had died. And it was, I felt closer to him up there than I ever did at his grave site. So when I had that experience, pushing myself kind of through the fear, pushing myself through those uncomfortable feelings, it helped with each trip, it helped me process the grief more and more. And that is, I think, became almost addicting in a way, right? Like I wanted, it was making me feel close to him. It was making me find happiness again that I thought I genuinely thought I would never have again. Yeah. I love this line on your article that you wrote about your dad. This is kind of your closing line. I'm going to read it. I've learned that the goal is not to live a life free of fears, but to acknowledge them and find the strength to push through to the other side. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, and that's what, you know, I still get hesitation when I step on a plane. I still am nervous, but knowing what's on the other side, which is excitement and adventure and a learning experience. There's so many incredible things about travel that help me, right? Like accept that I'm going to feel uncomfortable, but I'm going to be able to push through it. And I'm going to grow and become a better, you know, hopefully a better human, a better mother, a better wife, a better daughter, a better sister because of it. Because it's all just, you know, I'm open to I'm outside of the norm. I'm outside of, I'm, I'm in a new environment and you always learn something from being in a new environment. Yeah. And appropriately, your son is named Wilder. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Have you heard of the book Wild at Heart? Maybe. I'm not sure. What's it about? I'm sure I've heard of it. Mm, What's it about? I find what it's about so less interesting than who gave me the books. Hmm. So let me leave with that. And then I can tell you what it's about offline because it's not important right now. Okay. But it was given to me by a guy who looks like he should wear like a red cape and red underwear and fly around in the sky. He's like 60, second marriage, beautiful family now that he's been married for a very long time. And during a hard time in my life, he mentioned this book. And then another time he mentioned this book and then I run into his happy marriage, right? It's been 30 plus years. And she says verbatim, this book is the user manual to a man. Hmm. Now in key, it's a book about, well, in turn, it's a book about being wild at heart. And it discusses, frankly, the masculinity of like men in Christianity. Hmm. Interesting. And, well, let's put it this way. Okay. You don't see paparazzi jumping all over, you know, the latest and greatest, you know, Christian pastor. Right. <laughs> but you see them all over. I don't know. A guy with like Viking tattoos and carries a hammer or something. Right. <laughs> it's a paradox. Isn't that the word? Like, And so wild at heart is about kind of, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change, right? Mm-hmm. 
Like, I mean, you might catch yourself doing it right now, to be frank, like with your husband. I mean, first you mentioned your son, then you mentioned your husband, mm-hmm. right? And then it goes from husband and wife to, my gosh, like Wilder's the world, right? Then he grows up and forgets about us. And then we have to refine ourselves. Keegan's eight. I'm reading him books. He's grabbing the book out of my hand now and saying, I can read this myself. Mm-hmm. So I find myself, well, what do I do? Right. Wilder is the perfect name to start a child who can live free and unbridled, you know, with no sense of time and hopefully find a flow state before we're 30. Not like us. Right. Mm -hmm. But I would recommend this book, Wild at Heart. And I didn't even realize it was a Christian book. It's really a book about that merger of relationships. Hmm. Right. And what that looks like, aside from the fairy tale that the paparazzi try to paint that never really works out. Interesting. Make sense? Yeah. It's a hemming of two existences, right? Hmm. Like how Rainier Rilke says, as opposed to like, oh, well, now we're husband, wife, and that's it. And this is for the kid. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, it's a little different. You got you got me. You have a reading list for me. I've got a lot of reading to do. You got no, me. I, I, that's and that's the guilt I carry. Right, I never grew up with a bookshelf. Put mm-hmm. that in perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean that's what happens when your mom can't speak English till she's eighteen. You know, now in turn, the best advice I give all like the young cousins and nieces I have, you know, if they ask for advice, I say just find a guy with a bigger bookshelf than his TV is wide. <laughs> you know, if he's got more books than the TV is mm-hmm. wide, he's probably doing okay for himself, trying to make himself better. Right. Yeah. Which, which leads That's to back to you. What's like a few of the lessons or breakthroughs that travel's really given you? Like, like I never really saw areas with no middle class till I traveled. Mm-hmm. That was pretty heavy for you. Like, what's it for you? It's all relative, right? Yes, of course, there's lessons in politics and economics and mm-hmm. societal issues. And of course, travel, op- you know, opens you up to all of that in a way that you don't get from reading necessarily mm-hmm. or from the news. Yeah. For me, a lot of the lessons that I take away are more in kind of simple moments and not necessarily, some of them are destination specific. For example, in Antarctica, we camped one night. You have to stay on the ship most of the time, because you can't really, there's no hotels in Antarctica. So a handful of people got to experience sleeping on the continent for one night, you were allowed to do it. You couldn't go to the bathroom, you couldn't do anything, you could just could set up your tent and sleep there for a few hours. And there's no other place like that in the world, really, or very few places like that. And it was sitting there in the tent, no TV, no phone, no internet, nothing. And just listening to sounds that I'd never, I'd never heard before, right? Like, like the what? crackling of oh. the the ice and animals that I'm not used to hearing. And it was like, I just need to be still and take this in. This is my entertainment. And it was a reminder of just being still because yes, there are, I'm not going to hear these sounds when I go home or have the same experience, but I can take in everything that is around me at home and it can be as powerful, right? Like about being present. I was just sort of like forced into being present at that Mm -hmm. moment and how incredible that was. And then there's other moments like flying to Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm 
I was really stressed out and typical fit family travel stuff. Where's our bag? This is how, you know, where's the snack? And, and just being like, go, 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 go. We got to get, you know, we're got to get on this trip. And my son, I think had just kind of turned one at the time and was just starting to talk. And he kept like over and over and over and over again, just saying, happy, 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 happy. And I'm just, you know, kind of not listening to him. And he kept saying it. And I was like, I stopped for a second and I said, Wilder, like, are you happy? He's like, yes. And I'm like, oh my God, this kid is so happy right now. And I should be this happy too. Like he is having the time of his life and he is just totally, totally, totally in the moment of enjoying that we are about to go on this adventure together as a family. What if I had just stopped and taken a moment to do the same? And it changed the whole course of the trip because it was like, wow, yeah, I'm happy too. Here I am with my husband and my son. We're going to a new destination that I've always wanted to go to. Everyone's healthy, happy. Yeah, I'm happy too, Wilder. So it's like little moments like that where you just, you know, those are lessons that I like to learn on the road too that have nothing necessarily to do with, again, deeper issues like politics and which are extremely important. I learned those, but some of those more personal moments that I can take back with me on a day-to-day basis. I don't know if I, if we unbox the concept of politics, I would say that what travel, my limited travel has taught me is there are three cornerstones to every society, Hmm. which one we're drastically missing. Every new society that has been developed everywhere, you have to have politics, you have to have religion, and you have to have military. Look, Hmm. look, look around. Every single great community has those three cornerstones. Okay. One of which is being abolished here. Now, anyhow, <laughs> to lighten up the mood, <laughs> I'll read you something from Rilke. You ready? Yeah. If you stay, excuse me, if you will stay close to nature, to its simplicity, to the small things hardly noticeable, those things can unexpectedly become great and immeasurable. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? I read the last night out of the book I'll send to you. Yeah, that's so great. So when you're with, you know, Wilder and your husband, do you journal seeing that you're such a great writer? Is it like yeah. a release for you? No. no. <laughs> really? It's not. Really? Yeah. It's, I know it's funny because, because I write so much in a day uh-huh. and, you know, yes, I get to write a lot of great, you know, for a lot of great travel outlets, but I also write a lot of like, you know, boring stuff too, to pay the bills. I'm, I'm very much like a working writer. It's not all glamorous. So the last thing I kind of want to do at the end of the day is like, look at more words or write more words. I need something completely different because it's like too many words (laughs) in one day, too many words. So I try to find something else to do. What's your favorite mediums when you write? Like, is it computer typewriter, pen, paper? Functionally speaking, I have to write on a computer. I do like the aspect of a computer where I can kind of, especially you know, working on ideas, I can move things around, which is not something you can do with pen and paper necessarily. But I'm I am a huge fan of handwritten notes, though. I always write handwritten thank you notes, handwritten cards for my husband, my family, you know, whatever. If it's a gift, I, I always do that. Although I did set up an email account for Wilder that, that I sent him emails to that he obviously he doesn't know about. But when he turns 18, I think maybe... I'll tell him about it, but I kind of just send him little notes through there, which is like a great thing 
to have. I do the same. I'm going to start actually writing pen to paper too, just to, just yeah. to, to see. And it's interesting that you say that because maybe I should do that too, because I love looking at when I come across my dad's handwriting. It's, yeah. There's a, there's something about it that I love. It's tantamount to how in communication, 30% of it is word. When you see someone's penmanship, I'm going to send you a pen along with the books. Don't worry. It's going to be your new favorite pen. It's given to me by an artist friend of mine, TG. So if there's one thing you would want to tell yourself, like looking back only at like the ripe age of like 18, right? Mm -hmm. Before the fun parties and eating at Michelin threes for free and all that, and then going home to the flat that we can barely afford, right? Like, (laughs) what would you tell her? Live? Like, do it again? Because it sounds like you savor that moment but you you know maybe like me i had a hard time closing that chapter to be a grown-up right like i could have been in a very cush job yeah but i chose to break through and make a career for myself yeah like what is it with you looking back at 18 or maybe even you know 28 right yeah i think Like, I don't have any regrets about that period of time. Like I mentioned, it was really, it was really fun. And I did go after what my passion was and my dream was at that time. And you got it. And I got it, right? Like I worked hard for it. I think it would go back again to the self-acceptance that we were talking about earlier is to stop comparing my journey and my decisions to other people and those around me, which is something, again, I still struggle with. But yeah, stop comparing. What does comparing mean to you? And I think think it's it's impossible almost, right? Yeah, I mean, I think comparing in the sense that what who I am or what I am doing is not good enough. Mm. So when you're, yes, I mean, comparison can be good because it can be motivating. It could be a driving factor for change. It can help you be aware of other things. But when I think when it's, becomes detrimental and you start to feel bad about yourself, that's when the comparison is not good. And being able to, I think gossip is probably one of the biggest downsides of that experience was I was in a constant state of, right, comparing myself because I am again, I'm next to people that we're in like totally different worlds, but we're in the same world in this moment. But And that was a very hard thing. Like, oh, no, I need to be like, I was constantly reminded, oh, you're not us. Mm. But we're in the same world in a way, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, but you are other in this world. And I think that that started to kind of, that got to me. And it's hard. So to go back and just say, like, don't, you have your own journey. And I think now when I tend to compare myself, like, oh, I'm 35. I haven't done this yet. I want to do this, this, and this, and remind myself that like, there are so many people that didn't do the things that they tout now until they were much older than me, that there's no timeline, right? That you can accomplish dreams change and that there's no timeline set to them. You can keep changing them. And that's, I feel like, yeah, don't compare yourself. It'd be probably uh, what I would go back and tell myself. <laughs> I think that's a very important message, both then and now. I think we all struggle with comparison. It is. 
And social media has it so much more in your face. Yeah, it exacerbates it and makes yeah. it exponentially easy and accessible to compare. Yeah. Um, and just get go down that black hole of comparison. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to take a step back, if, if you don't mind, just like Hollywood. And because I'm kind of like in here now in Hollywood and in Orange County where I live. What were some of your takeaways from meeting all those people in the industry, around the industry? Or I, I mean, did you see a lot of people that were actually happy with where they were in life? Yeah, definitely. There are definitely people who get it, who got that this was their job. I mean, especially, you know, I'm coming from a perspective of like a reporter, right? Or a journal, an entertainment journalist. There are people who understood their place in the world and that this was their job and happiness was not found in everything that kind of Hollywood touts as, as happiness. So I, and people like Hugh Jackman, right? Like mm. didn't take some people, like he doesn't take himself too seriously or even, you know, uh, reality stars like Kristen Cavallari. Like I love her. I think she's great. Every time I've interviewed her or met her, like she gets like, she's like, I was so lucky that I randomly ended up on a reality show as a high school student and was able to build this crazy career out of it. Like she gets it where other people who maybe had a similar route think that they are way up here on a pedestal and are so much more important than you. And she doesn't. Um, I know Hugh Jackman and Kristen Cavallari are like <laughs> very different examples, but I think there are people in the industry that absolutely get that this is their job, whether they have to be on set or talk to a reporter like me and they're not being followed. They're not the ones being followed necessarily by the paparazzi because otherwise they kind of live normal lives. They just happen. Their line of work just happens to be one that is very public. Or, you know, like Jimmy Fallon, just people that are grateful again for their position. He would, any red carpet, he would stay and talk to every single reporter and answer every single question, even if it meant he was running late for the event. Like, and that's just like a sense, of, you know, you could just sense that he was grateful for the opportunity that he was able to be on that red carpet and making our lives, our jobs easier because it's a really hard job. <laughs> I think flipping the script and giving, all these guys, everyone, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the really ugly, just the credit of keeping their heads straight, being under constant judgment. Yeah. It's, I, like, I, how about I that? I can't imagine that, right? that, it's, that it's hard. Yeah. You know, you see Jordy coming up to you and you're like, oh, here comes Lippy McGraw. She's going to take <laughs> care of me today. You know, no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I mean, I, I've heard a lot of, and a few people that I know, and I don't want to drop names, but like, they when they open up they talk about how hard that really is yeah i can't fathom how hard that is yeah. i can it's easier for me to understand mm. the pitfalls than it is to keep their yeah. heads straight and have a sense yeah. of gratitude throughout the process yeah it's amazing you know mike tyson like he can't even catch a plane without delaying the plane and the plane <laughs> likes to be delayed right it's it's the craziest thing you know and to exist like that from 19 and to reinvent himself the way he has i mean i think a lot of these guys you know what I'm learning from this call is they're just like everyone else. You know, you take a hundred people, you know, 98 of them are wackadoodles, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's so different from stardom, I guess. What do you think, Cliff? I don't know. Your daughters <laughs> are going to be stars. It's a, right? it's a blessing and a curse. You know, yeah. I mean, when you have that kind of 
attention on you like nonstop. It could be just. It could be good for some people. It could be bad for a lot of people. My friend's um, daughter, Mahina, is going to be on NCIS as a major role, the Hawaii one. You cool. know, And all I pray for is she comes across with all the confidence she deserves in the right direction through all this. And the mm-hmm. wherewithal to know that certain choices don't really serve eternity. Right? That's kind of something I stick to, Jordy, when I think about like my life and things that maybe don't go super well sometimes one i think this is what makes those great moments great but i also think what does it have to do with the big picture mm-hmm. like you said earlier you know what i mean like it's not just about us but a lot of times we make it about us yeah like what does wilder make it about what ticks him off i can <laughs> tell you about keegan right but all kids have their quirks right like they're all their own little creatures like dogs you know it's so fun like to dogs. i'm gonna go i'm gonna bury for that one but you know <laughs> What's Wilder's thing? Like what? Like what? Oh man, he is. He's. I love watching his little brain work. It's incredible. I love that photo where he's sitting, looking like an old man. You know the <laughs> one, like because it was. It's kind of like far into your, like you know, is like my stories. Yeah, I mean, we can go there because it's about you. Okay, so like I'll find it quick, but it's one of those turning moments that I always warn my friends with new kids about. Cause you know, they just want to slip their wrists after like three months <laughs> and it's somewhere around them. I'll find it. It's, Oh, it's such an amazing, here we go. It's wilder at 85 weeks. Oh yeah. That was insane. He part. looks like part of a Benetton <laughs> commercial, you know, but he looks like he's really ruminate. He's ruminating <laughs> yeah. on something, you know what I mean? And that's, yeah. that's heavy. He's 85 weeks old and he's really thinking with his little pot belly. He was was sick in that photo when we were in St. Bart's. Okay. He's so cute. Sometimes he, when I'm constipated, I look like I'm thinking too, I guess. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he thinks a lot. He's a very thoughtful kid. What a He's blessing. Vi- yeah. yeah. I mean, it's incredible. He's very empathetic. I don't know if you, I had this on my story the other day. It's on, I tweeted it, but and this is a funny example, but it's an example of how he thinks. He came home from camp with toilet paper stuffed in his pockets and I was like, Wilder, like, why do you have toilet paper stuffed in your pockets? And he was like, you said we were out. Like, <laughs> so in his mind, like he, he went to camp thinking, so I guess I don't remember saying that, but at some point I said we didn't have toilet paper. And his little brain, he remembered that when he went to school or camp and saw toilet paper and was like, mom, I'm thinking about mom right now. And I'm going to bring this home for her because it's going to help her. Like, that's a lot for a th- in my mind for a three-year-old to like, to think about that. Or if we're out, he's, we're playing with something, whoever's in the room, he makes sure every single person has a toy and that like, he just like thinks about others. And that makes me so happy because I just like his little heart is just so, I don't know. He just has so much empathy and he's so resilient, but what ticks him off. (laughs) He sounds, he sounds so different from a typical Manhattan. (laughs) yeah i mean granted we left when he was you know a little over a year and a half because of the pandemic so he spent the last you know again year and a half with a lot of a a lot of adult attention in central pennsylvania it's so funny when they're on adults they start talking like adults right (laughs) yeah oh yeah he's i mean the other day my mom asked oh because we were at the beach and he said wow did you get these you know seashells from the beach and he goes i sure did (laughs) 
I sure yep I sure I did sure did yep yep so, <laughs> like let's say your time is cut short on earth what would you tell wilder today and i know you're probably gonna say i don't know but you know if you did know like what would you tell him take your time you know oh man i mean i wake up every day thinking it's my last i'm sorry that's just one of my tricks right so i try to tell something key to something to keegan that will resonate with him yeah what's that Um, look like for you like what are your core fundamental principles you and your husband try to breathe into him we certainly try to focus on him understanding and feeling that his emotions are valid. We really focus on his emotional intelligence because I'm not worried about him learning the ABCs, the one, two, three. Yeah. I want him to know that it is okay and a good thing to feel. And sometimes it's going to hurt. But it's okay to feel, it's okay to be open, it's okay to be frustrated. And it makes being happy like that much more exciting. You know, when he says he's scared, I never say, oh, don't be scared. I say, you know, what are you scared of? And it's okay to be scared. Let's like, I, we, I try to work through those things with him. So I'd want him to know that he matters in this world and that his emotions are valid and to never to stuff never to stuff them down and to allow to create the space for others to do that as well. So that he can be a person that people come to and that he can feel safe going to other people with how he feels. So he doesn't have to feel like he's alone. Gosh, it sounds like you gave that a lot of thought before. I didn't. I just <laughs> thought of that on the, off the top of my head. Really? Honestly. I think it's embedded was in your subconscious. Like, now I'm going like, no, oh my that God, was, that, that was beautiful, Jordan. That was beautiful. Did we get that recording? Yes, we, we, we had that recorded, so that's going to oh. live in eternity, right? So Magnificent. That's, that's fantastic. I think we just ended there. I think so, too. <laughs> I think so, too. Let me... Any last parting thoughts, Jordy? No, I mean, yeah, this has just been... You guys asked questions that got me thinking about a, a lot of things that I I hadn't given the time to think about. So thank you again for creating that that, space that a lot. to be able to, <laughs> to ruminate on things. Like, you know, it's easy to get, like I said, to get swept up in the day-to-day. And I'm usually the one, right, doing the interviewing. I'm interviewing yeah. lots of people all the time. It's rare that people kind of ask me questions. So it gave me an opportunity to reflect in ways that I haven't before. So thank you. Well, Cliff, you want to close us out, but don't hang up, Jordy. But Cliff, you want to close us out? Yeah, stay with us, Jordy. But thank you so much, Jordy. This has been super inspirational. We didn't even go into all of your accomplishments and everything. Part two. Your, your other Part half two, is like month. a world-class triathlete. And it's just like family travel. There's so much that we didn't go into. But thank you so much for sharing everything about where you're at and where your mindset is and taking Derek through that daydreaming exercise. That was magical. This is great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Anytime. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Fascinating People. If you enjoyed it, would you mind sharing it with a friend or a family member? And if you haven't already, please give us a rating and your comments. We'd really appreciate it. And that's it for today. We'll see you next time. Aloha and mahalo.